Well, good morning, everyone in KCC. Just want to say we're continuing this series, Who Do We Follow? And we're thinking today specifically from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. And what I'd like you to do is, if you've got a moment, is just to go and get a Bible. So I'm going to be tracking from a Bible like this, as well as having headings up on the screen behind me. And if you're uh, like me, when you're watching on TV and you've got the Bible on your phone, if a notification comes up, maybe about a football match that's coming up or some news item, you can get easily distracted. And it's just a little bit harder going when we're all together watching it on TV or on a phone. So we just want to try and track in the Bible itself. And so if you can go and get a Bible or a couple of Bibles, if you watch as a family, That'd be great. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to begin to dig into God's word. So let's just pray. So Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you and come before your word and just to see what you have to say to us. We thank you that you have spoken from the very beginning and you are a God who continues to speak to us. So we pray that you would speak to us this morning about restoration that you would speak to us in the very depths of our being and that we would acknowledge who you are and our need of you. And so we pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit. Come and speak to us, we pray, and help us to respond in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be thinking from Mark 5, 1 to 20 this morning. And what we're going to be thinking about is this theme of restoration. And I'm going to be pulling out three things in this passage for us to consider this morning. And those three things are firstly, destruction, secondly, restoration, and thirdly, multiplication. So destruction, restoration, and multiplication. So we're going to be drawing those out as we go through the passage. And to begin with, we're going to be thinking about verses uh, one to two in this passage. We're thinking about destruction. So look up uh, Mark chapter 5 verses 1 to 2. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tomb to meet him. So in this situation, as Colin was speaking about last week about the storm, that Jesus has been through the storm on a boat and he's traveling from west to east. He's going in this direction to a place that is a Gentile area. And so he's expanding his kingdom. He's expanding his kingdom. But if we're honest, he lived in a world where there was destruction and we live in a world where there is destruction too. What do I mean by that? Well, it seems as if somehow we live in this progressive society which thinks that actually there's going to be some humanistic utopia, that everything is going to be all right. We're just going to work it out as humans. But the reality is, is that when you put your TV on and you watch the news, or when you scroll down on your phone and see news notifications, every day in the media, we're seeing evidence of destruction. We're seeing evidence of a world that is broken, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. Just think of the past 10 years within our 
society. Think of the past 10 years of what's happened and the destruction that we can see caused by man. Think about the London terror attack on the bridge. There was a terrorist attack where people were uh, stabbed to death, where others were hurt, where fear came about, and numerous terrorist attacks have happened around the world, including Paris and Berlin. We see destruction and the presence of evil. Think about uh, Harvey Weinstein locked up for cases of abuse, sexual abuse, and that Hollywood is not all we thought it was made out to be. That actually there's been all kinds of destruction in terms of power and relationships with people. Think of the terrorist attack in Manchester that killed innocent people watching a concert where eventually 22 people were dead and many, many injured. And we can see evidence of destruction in a world that suggests that progressiveness is not about us as humans working out how we can be the best we can be, because throughout history, way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve, we see how there was disobedience towards God and how evil was present and how destruction and death and all kinds of sin came about. And we like to somehow think that that is out there, but the reality is, is that it's, we all have the capability of sinning. We're told in the Bible in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have that deceitfulness and that jealousy and that lust and that anger within our hearts. There is destruction. So how do we go about seeing that destruction for what it is, but also how do we find restoration? Well, in verses one and two, as we read, we see that Jesus traveled from west to east to a Gentile area, expanding his kingdom because he knew that it was not only the Jews who needed to know the love of the Father and forgiveness through him, but also the Gentiles. So Gerasen is the east of the Sea of Galilee. And so they traveled across there and Jesus had a specific mission and a purpose. He knew where he was going he knew who he was looking for, and he knew that he was doing the will of the Father. And in Mark 5, verses 3 to 4, we firstly see that the man was destructive to others. He encounters this man, as we're going to read about now in verses 3 and 4. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So we can see, as we look down in, in our Bibles in that text, we can see that here is a man who was so bound by demon possession that even when chains were put on him, he broke them off, that he was a danger, that he was destructive to others. So this destruction had affected him, but was potentially dangerous to others. But look at verse 5. The man was also destructive to himself. That's what happens with evil. 
Night and day, in verse 5, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So we see that he was riddled with this possession and he was hurting himself, not only potentially destructive to others, but destructive to himself. And we see that that is what happens with sin, it's what happens with evil, that it actually looks to kill and destroy. It's not about building up and restoring, it's about destruction. And so he's destructive to others and he's also destructive to himself. Paul Tripp helpfully says that we have a perverse tendency at moments to look at evil and not see evil. We need a video and warning to show us this is what evil looks like. So when we see and hear this narrative with this man who is possessed, it feels a bit kind of strange, a bit odd, but we can equally have a numbness to evil as we watch films and television and read books where we don't become critical and absorb evil things without actually being awoken to the fact that evil exists. So we can have this tendency to look at evil and not actually see evil anymore. So when you're on Snapchat, when you're watching Netflix, when you go to the cinema, when you read books, do we see evil for what is evil and good for what is good? So we sometimes need a video warning to show us what evil actually looks like. We need a wake up call that we're not somehow gonna reach this humanistic utopia, that there is destruction, that there is sin, and that there is evil, and that we need to be alert and awake to that. And this narrative is like a, a film story that shows us almost the worst of the worst that can happen in somebody. It's an extreme case of what we see in terms of somebody's life, in terms of this man's life. But we then, thankfully, don't just read about destruction, but we read about uh, working towards restoration. So Mark 5, 6 to 10, let's read that. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. So this is this man that's full of destruction. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So what we see is that this man recognised who Jesus was but maybe not in a friendly kind of way, because he shouted, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? It was a defensive reaction to seeing and knowing truly who Jesus was. And then he began to argue with Jesus about what would happen to him, where would these demons go? He argued with Jesus, but Jesus knew his heart. And that is the difference between us and Jesus. You see, Jesus will deal with you differently to how he dealt with this man legion. He will deal with others differently to how he deals with you. 
because he is loving and he's kind, because he wants to restore you, he knows what restoration you need and I need in my life. And so when we come to this place of realizing that we're weak, we cannot do things in our own strength, we cannot live the way that we live in our own terms, then he will meet us and restore us and engage with us and encounter us in the way that he knows best because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And it's remembering that Jesus came to restore those who are sick, who know that they're sick. And in uh, Dan uh, Orland's book, Gently and Lowly, there's a great bit about this where he refers to Jürgen Moltmann, the German theologian. Listen to these great words, first from Dan Ortland and then Jürgen Moltmann. Jesus Christ's earthly ministry was one of giving back to undeserving sinners their humanity. We tend to think of the miracles of the Gospels as interruptions in the natural order. Yet German theologian Jürgen Moltmann points out that miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. We are so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain and death seem natural. In fact, they are the interruption. When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The Lordship of God to which the healings witness restores creation to health. Jesus's healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world, they are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized and wounded. And can't we see the beauty of what restoration that really means? Is that Jesus in the beginning with the Father and the Spirit created all things and they were good. And so if you like, what is good and what is natural is that there is no sickness, there is no heartache, there is no uh, wars, there are no troubles of such. And so what Jesus is doing is actually restoring things to what they were supposed to be. And so this side of glory, we will have troubles, we will have suffering, but actually healings and restoration are a sign of the not yet, of what is to come, where all things will be made new. And so actually he's creating order of, out of chaos where there are such troubles. And so this man who was incredibly chaotic and stirred and destruct, had destruction in his life, had natural order restored to him. And that is what Jesus does. He meets us and restores us to what we were supposed to be, to what it truly means to be human. We don't suddenly become some kind of superhuman being, but actually he created us as humans in his image and wants to restore us to the way that we were supposed to be. And that's a beautiful thing, and that's an act of his grace. But we also see restoration in verses 11 to 13, as Jesus casts out demons into the pigs. Now, this is a kind of strange thing that people get a bit upset about, you know, what's happening to these animals. We're going to explore that just a moment. 
Verse 11, a large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So Jesus casts these demons somewhere and he chose to cast them into uh, the pigs. Now, if we read this text and we don't understand the context that this is a Gentile area, I've thought for years it's a bit strange that this happened to pigs. What were the pigs doing there in the first place? Well, it's because Jesus was encountering Gentiles who kept pigs and therefore it was they were put into the pigs for that very reason. But actually, there's something a bit more to this, I think. And as I've been contemplating on this and thinking about this, is that I think what we see here is a mirror of atonement. That is to say that actually we can get upset about 2,000 pigs dying, but ultimately that their life paid a price for these demons. But actually Jesus paid a price in order for evil to be defeated. That we see a mirror here, a foreshadow of Jesus is the one who actually dies and takes on our sin. And Jesus is the one who pays the price defeating the enemy. And in verses 14 and 15, we read, Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay, so Jesus changes the man's life and he's restored. And so people become upset about the pigs because obviously people are going to lose money, upset about the pigs dying more so than this poor man whose life had been tortured and, and full of destruction now being restored. And people were afraid. We see this continuing in verses 16 and 17. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So this is the amazing thing, isn't it? That actually, if we understand the power of Jesus, that he can restore lives, that he can heal, that he can forgive, that he can give eternal hope, you would think that everybody in Kirtliston, everybody in Edinburgh, everyone in the world would say, wow, that's incredible. But you see, there's spiritual blindness, a spiritual deafness where everybody doesn't say that. Because actually, the power of God is so great that actually the Spirit brings conviction in people's lives. So maybe even as we're listening to this, we might not be a Christian. The Holy Spirit, maybe you've been tuning in or going other places and listening, is maybe working in your life to such a point where you know this to be true, but you resist it and feel afraid of it and see that there's a cost to change it. And we know this to be true if we're Christians, that as we encounter Christ, as we count the cost, as we decrease and he increases, we know it to be true, but it's a bit scary. And we can withdraw and we can pull back and we can look for the comfort zones. So people were annoyed and afraid of Jesus and they wanted him to leave. So sometimes we might think, well, wouldn't it be great if we lived in the time of Jesus, if we could just see him healing, if other people could just see him healing, if other people could see him um, turning the water into wine, if other people could see the dead raised, then surely they would all have believed. But they didn't. Because actually it is 
a calling and a work of the Spirit to open blind eyes and deaf ears, as it is today, as we desire that we will all be restored, it has to be a work of God's grace. But we also see multiplication, try and get my teeth around that one for some reason, uh, multiplication, we have to see that in terms of verses 18 to 20, that actually these things happen for a reason, that they, they were not an accident. So in verse 18 and 20, we read, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. So this is quite amazing because the man is set free but wants to join Jesus. You would naturally think that actually that's a great thing, he wants to follow Jesus. Why could he not just then hang out with Jesus? But God's purposes for this man was to take him from a life of destruction to a life of restoration. And in doing so, bring about a good news story that other people would hear that, wow, isn't it incredible that that man who was bound in chains, that man who was destructive towards others and himself, his life has now been changed and now he can go and tell other people about that. And so Jesus sends him away to Decapolis, which is uh, 10 cities in that area, and he goes and he tells people, and people are amazed, and why wouldn't they be? An incredible story of restoration. Paul Tripp helpfully says that your strength over evil is found in his cross and his grace, because you don't have any yourself. And I think that's a great reminder, is that when there is destruction in our life, when there is sin in our lives, when we are at a point where we're dead in sin and we don't know Jesus, we cannot save ourselves. When we battle with sin, when we struggle with issues in our life or issues with other people that we know and we love, we cannot overcome these things in and of ourselves, but your strength over evil is found in his cross and his grace. Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin because we can't. And Jesus was restored, risen again, and ascended to heaven so that one day we will be fully resurrected people too. That the process that we're going through right now is a process of transformation. That life will not be easy. We're not looking for some oasis that we become a Christian and we sit on this island and we kick back on the sun lounger and everything is going to be absolutely fine. We should be yearning to know the goodness of Jesus now that reflects what is to come and desiring that we would know him and worship him for eternity because the cross and his grace has made that possible. We do not have it within ourselves to make it happen. It has to be a work of the cross. It has to be a work of his grace. And so at your darkest moments, at my darkest moments, when we feel despair, we cry out to Jesus, come help us, come restore us. So we're called to restoration. We've thought about destruction. We've thought about restoration in this man's life. And we've thought about multiplication. 
how he wants to take your life and make it a good news story, that other people will see Jesus in you, that other people will be attracted to Jesus and that his kingdom will grow, his family will grow. So what's our response to this as we close? Well, I've been thinking about this as we watch on television. Maybe you're watching on television right now. Maybe you're watching on your phone or your iPad or your smart device, whatever it is. And we can hear this stuff and we can just grab for our remote and we can turn it off and we can join the Zoom afterwards and we can talk about somebody's new sofa, we can talk about going on holiday or not going on holiday, and we just hear from the word of God and it's just then gone. Or we can think about this and then forget it by Tuesday, as it were. But what is God actually saying to you this morning as you've heard about this? What is going on in your life right now? Do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, what is going on in your life right now with this uncertainty? with the troubles with your health, with the troubles with your family, with the trials that you're facing, what are you going to do with those? And I just think it's a good opportunity right now, just in this moment, as we would when we gather in church, to just be still before the Lord and ask him to meet us where we are right now. And if that's helpful, you might just want to stand up where you are because we're kind of slouching on the couch You might just want to raise your hands, hold your hands out as a sign of surrender. And as I pray now, we just ask for God's help as part of this response. So let's pray. Father, we pray, help us by your Holy Spirit. Come, we pray. Meet with us. What is the one thing that the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning? What has jumped out from his word to you this morning? What is the one thing that he wants you to maybe bring to him that he might restore in you? Maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's a concern that you have. How does he want you to multiply this? Who is it you need to text? The person you know who's not walking with God anymore, the person who's never known Jesus. Who does he want you to write a letter to? How will we respond this morning to his word? And so, Father, help us, we pray. We are weak. We need your help. You promise to be our strength. And help us to take each day as it comes and live for Jesus. We thank you that you are able to take destruction and restore us. We thank you that you are able to restore us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we pray this morning that you would Warm our hearts with the goodness of that, that we would build joy. The joy of the Lord is our salvation. Help us to focus on you, we pray. 
and to tell others this good news. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much uh, for listening this morning. Uh, I, don't, I do pray that you won't just listen, but that you will respond as we have that time of prayer. There's an opportunity to get in touch uh, with Colin or myself in terms of any needs for prayer. And you can also uh, email uh, questions at uh, KCC as well. Uh, get in touch if you've got any questions or any comments too, as Colin was saying about the other week, that it's really helpful for us to hear from you, especially when so much of this is just done through lenses. So uh, we'd love to be able to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to be able to pray for you. And we just want to encourage you in your walk. It's not easy when uh, more of us are kind of isolated. So we want to just be praying for each other and encourage one another. Have a great week. God bless.